Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Jesus exerts his authority and everyone has one reaction. It's astonishment. Yeah, that's the characteristic of people who have seen Jesus at work, astonishment. Is my life characterized by astonishment at who Jesus is and what he does? Man, it's just great. It's great to be here worshiping together. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, team, uh, for leading us. Aren't they awesome? Aren't they wonderful? Thank you for doing that. Uh, I got to say thank you for being part of this ongoing series where we're studying the life of Jesus through the book of Mark. And uh, we've been doing this series for a while. Are you tired of it yet? It's kind of good because it's going to keep going for a while because here we are in the eighth week of this series and we're still in chapter one. Uh, yeah, we're still in chapter one. So uh, we don't do overview stuff too well here. We go deep, man. We really go deep. And that's what I love. I hope you love it too. Uh, so yeah, we've, um, we've been kind of digging deep, deep hard into this. Uh, got a lot of feedback from the last two weeks of messages and uh, most of it very encouraging and supportive and positive. Not all of it uh, very encouraging and supportive. I know, I know we have been dealing with some difficult, difficult topics over the last few weeks as we're looking at what Jesus did in his demon encounter there at the synagogue in Capernaum. Difficult. And if you missed last week, I don't know, maybe, maybe that was good for you to miss it, but it was really one that I got, I think I got more feedback from last week than any other sermon I've gotten all year for sure, for sure. So um, I hope that you're still with us. I'm glad that you're still with us. And we're going to kind of pick up the story a little bit where we left off. We're still in the same day. It's the same day. It's the same Sabbath day that we've been in. We've been studying for the last two weeks. Jesus uh, has been at the synagogue and has had this amazing, amazing moment where his exousia is on display. His authority is on display. So much so that the people responded. I'm going to look back at it again real quickly. Mark 1, 21 and 22 says this. They went to Capernaum. That's Jesus and the disciples. And uh, it's his first stop with his disciples. He's just called the disciples. They get to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they, that's all the people around, they were astounded. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So they are astounded at Jesus's authority. And then he goes on after he casts out that demon. Uh, he exerts his authority with the demon. The demon has to leave. And they were all amazed. So they were astounded. And now they're amazed. So that they question among themselves saying, what is this? <laughs> A new teaching with authority. Um, and he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So they're astonished, they're amazed, and his fame spread. So this is all because Jesus exerts his, here we go, uh, Larry Spore, his exousia. Yeah, his exousia. That means authority, but it means more than a job title. 
It means that he is teaching and acting out of the substance of being God himself. It's as much more than just, you know, he's got a title. He's got real authority. And the results of authority are words like what we've looked at, astonished, amazed, and fame spread is fame spread. That sounds like a real bad marketing term for a new, it's not butter, you know, spread. Doesn't it? Fame spread. So astonished, amazed, and his fame, they just couldn't stop talking about it. They just every they had to go tell somebody about what they had just seen about Jesus. They were so astonished and so amazed. Listen, here's what I want you to catch on this. It's the first blank on your page. When Jesus exerts his exousia, the results are astonishing. You hear me? When Jesus exerts his authority in your life, the results are astonishing, astonishing, amazing, and it causes his fame to spread because you can't stop talking about it. Am I right, teenagers? <laughs> so the results are astonishing. That's what he does. I mean, haven't you seen it? Haven't you seen him at work in your life? Haven't you been astonished by who Jesus is and what he does in your life. Look at Colossians 1. Through him, that's Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. He, Jesus, existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. You ever feel like your life is falling apart? You ever feel like your job's falling apart? You ever feel like, you ever feel like everything around you is starting to fall apart? Do you feel like our culture's falling apart? But it's Jesus that holds everything together. Dude, I can't hold, I can't hold my family together at dinner time. Kids running crazy, and it's just always kind of chaos, but he holds the entire universe together. That should astound you. Amen? All right, I'll get you with me at some point today. In John 1, John tells us in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through Jesus. The universe was created through the person of Jesus Christ, and he makes it good. I mean, if, Jesus, if God's the one creating it through his son Jesus, it's got to be good, right? And so he creates it all. The, up until this morning, haven't the last two weeks been beautiful? I mean, I've just had a chance. I've been so blessed. Uh, last, last spring and summer, it was just rainy, rainy, rainy all the time. This year, these last two weeks, uh, I've been able to ride the motorcycle just about every day. And the sky is so blue. And the mountains are so beautiful. And it's that early, you know, it's that springtime. The leaves are so green Right? I mean, I, have you seen that? Have you been astounded by his good creation? He sure loved it. He creates everything, all of it, and pronounces it all good. 
except for us, right? He created us and he called us what? Very good, very good. He is pleased, so pleased with everything that he took the day off, right? He created everything, including us in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. He stopped everything because he was so pleased with it all. But you know the story. We rebelled very quickly, right? We decided to turn against this creator of everything good we decided that it needed to be better than good somehow and that God didn't really deserve to be God. We could rise up and become God ourselves. So we chose to side with Lucifer in the accusation against God and we tried to become God ourselves. And when we did that, we twisted and perverted everything. We ruined it all. We turned good into evil. And today, that's the definition of our culture. We call everything good evil and everything evil good. Am I right? We've twisted and perverted everything that he created in those six days and was so pleased with, we decided it wasn't good enough for us. And so he should have dealt with us, right? He should have just immediately said, okay, control, alt, delete. I'm going to reboot this and we're going to start over again. Not, not going to deal with you rebellious humans anymore. But instead of that, John 1, 14 says that the word became human. And he dwelt among us. He made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. There's not a lot of glory in this world left anymore, but there is glory in him, and we saw it in him. We should be astonished by this, that instead of choosing to smite us, O mighty smiter, instead he chose to come here and live among us. This should astonish us. Are you astonished by that? Philippians 2 says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. This one, through whom everything was created and who holds all things together, chose to come here and be a slave to us, born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross this is what he did instead of smiting us he chose instead to go to the cross and take all of the punishment that you and I deserve onto himself and he goes to the grave on my behalf he dies instead of killing me he dies for me in, and he goes to that grave and he does it willingly look at this in John 10 no one can take my life from me Jesus says I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded he's humble and obedient and he willingly goes to the cross for you and for me in Hebrews, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, 
after going to the cross and dying on, my, on our behalf, he rose from the dead and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he dies for us, he rises again, and he goes right back to where he belongs. And now he is seated in heaven with his father. And Colossians says that Christ is the head of the church. That's us. He's the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. In other words, we turned everything good, evil, he reconciles it all. The, that Jesus would die on the cross means that he's pulling it all back to himself. He's holding everything together and upholding it all himself. This this should astonish us. We should be blown away by this. This should knock us over. It should be so overwhelmingly astonishing that he would do this for us. And now, Colossians 2, 3 says, In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What this is saying is whatever it is you're looking for, whatever it is that you feel like you don't have, it's in him. It's in him. He's the one you run to. He's the one you can go to. He completes you. This should astonish us. All these things that he is for us. He's the head of the body, the church. He alone has the authority to forgive our turning good into evil. He speaks and the winds and the waves obey him. Can I get an amen? amen. He speaks and the demons got to go right? He speaks and the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, and lepers are made whole again. He calls out the dead and they get up and walk. Can I get an amen? amen. Wow, this should be astonishing. So the characteristics of us should be the same as those in Capernaum. We should be defined by words such as astonished, amazed, and fame spread. That should be us. Heck, we sing songs about it. I mean, is it not enough? Is it not enough yet? We sing songs about it. We sang the song this morning, Glorious Day. Doesn't this resonate with you? I needed rescue because my sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight, God, of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. But now you call me a citizen of heaven. Come on, can I get an amen? I want to get you with me on this. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Because when you called my name... Thank you, thank you. Praise the Lord, this should astonish us. Come on, we also sang the song, What a Beautiful Name. 
Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. <coughs> you silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. Come on, does that not astonish you? Is he not astonishing to you every moment of every day? Or maybe he hasn't done enough for you. Maybe he hasn't been good enough for you. Maybe you think that you could rise up and do a better job than he can. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Next blank on your page. Am I astonished by Jesus or is my heart really that shriveled up? Am I astonished by him, or am I so callous and so self-centered that I can't see the astonishing, amazing glory of God? Man, it's quiet in here. We're going to sing a song in a little bit. And it goes like this. I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. I don't have much, but what I have is a hallelujah. We're going to be singing that in just a little while. Can we just be astonished enough to give him what little we have? Can we just be astonished enough to throw up our hands and to praise him again and again? So maybe he needs to do more. So he does. Let's pick up the story where we left off. Right there in Capernaum, they've just had this big amazing church service where Jesus with all the authority teaches and casts out this demon. And then everybody leaves. That's how his fame spread. They start going places and telling everybody they can tell about how awesome, how astonishing Jesus is. And then Jesus goes home. He goes to Simon Peter's house. I got to ask you, did you ever wonder what Jesus does as soon as he gets home from church? What do you do when you get home from church? I mean, I wonder if Jesus gets home and has the same thing that we have, same routine that we have. Well, we kind of see a little bit of what goes on here on this particular Sabbath day. In Mark 1, 29, picking up the story right where we left off. Immediately, he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Jesus, hey, uh, Jesus, mom-in-law is sick here. Did you bring your mask? Okay, not that funny. Too soon? Is that what it is? Too soon? <laughs> Did you get the booster, Jesus? Because can't come in. We're quarantining for 48 hours. So they tell Jesus about her. Wait, 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 wait. Shouldn't Jesus know already? He's Jesus. Shouldn't he already know about mother-in-law? Maybe he did know, and they, they, he just didn't let on, so they had to tell him. What do you think he should know already? 
okay, listen, I'm not going to pretend to understand this about Jesus, but there's, there's a, a clear theology that Jesus is fully God. So he has no limitations. He speaks to the winds and the waves, and they obey him, right? He knows what's going to happen in the future. But he is also fully human. So he has no limitations, but he also has to eat because he gets hungry. He also has to sleep because he gets tired. Right? He also doesn't always know what's going on. You know, the woman uh, in the street who touches the fringe of his garment, he has to stop and go, okay, well, hold on. Who touched me? Right? So there's this weird thing in the scripture about how he's all this and he's all that, and the two seem to overlap sometimes, and then they don't sometimes. It's weird. The theological term is it's the hypostatic union. It's all God, all man. I don't understand it, and I would be happy to preach a whole sermon on it, but it'd be like this. I don't know. It's right there in the Bible. I don't, I don't know. So that's how that works. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with him being a little mysterious to us? Yeah, me, me too. So he goes into this house, and they tell him, um, they tell him about sick mother-in-law. And... I'm going to jump out of Mark here, and I want to look at how Luke tells us this story just for a second, just for a sentence or two, because Luke gives us a little more insight here than Mark does. So Luke tells us that Jesus actually decides to go in to where a mother-in-law is sick, and Luke says in Luke 4.39 that he stood over her. He stood over her. Can you imagine what that was like? He, he comes in from church. He stands over her. You didn't go to church today. <laughs> right? What would it be like if you decided to sleep in, but you find out that Jesus was in church without you that day, and then he comes to your house and stands over you? What's that going to feel like? <laughs> How are you going to feel? Are you going to feel judged or condemned? Are you going to feel embarrassed? Gee, Jesus, I know you deserve better than that, but I wanted to stay here with my pillows today. I mean, how does, how does that, how must that feel? Would you feel condemned? Do you feel like Jesus would rebuke you for skipping church? Let's look at what happens. Uh, Luke 4, 39. He stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. He rebuked the fever. The word rebuke means to admonish or to charge sharply, or it means to straightly charge. In other words, he exerts his exousia again at the fever. Yeah, Jesus talks to a fever, and the fever leaves. It obeys. It's gone all of a sudden. Notice, notice this. Look at this passage. He stood over her. He rebuked the fever. Notice he didn't tell her, well, if you were a good Christian, you just push on through. Right? If you were a good Christian, you wouldn't, I mean, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have got sick in the first place. That's not what he says. He rebukes the fever. In other words, next blank on your page, Jesus rebukes the problem, not the person. 
He rebukes the problem, not the person. He calls out the issue, but he loves and he serves the person. Amen. Get an amen? amen. So Luke tells us about the same thing Mark tells us. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, it left her, and immediately she rose. And look at this. She rose immediately. She rose and began to serve them. This is, again, this is Luke. Luke is stealing Mark's phrase here immediately. That's Mark's favorite word, literally. It's the word repeated the most in the book of Mark. Immediately she rose and began to serve them. Here's how Mark says it. Mark tells us that he um, came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So immediately she's not like oh i need some time to recuperate i need to i need to build up my strength again Whew, i've been sick for a while just give me a minute mm -mm. it's like healed and get her in the kitchen that's what it is yeah literally one of the translations says she immediately prepared a meal for them get her in the kitchen right there <laughs> i didn't hear amens on that by the way no, notice, notice that she doesn't need a minute. She doesn't have to recuperate. When Jesus heals, he heals. He restores full strength. He heals completely at that point. That's what he does. She's been sick, and she missed out on the astonishing exousia of Jesus in the synagogue. But she got to experience him live and in person. Let me ask you, what Sickness has kept you from experiencing him. Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it pornography? Is it pain? Loneliness? Is it abuse? Selfishness? What sickness keeps you from experiencing him? Because Jesus bore all of those for you he took all of those he took your grief your biggest loss that debilitates you and he took it to the cross and he killed it he killed it and he took it to the grave but three days later he walked out of that grave without any of it that's right and listen, because of what he did, his resurrection is your resurrection. You get to experience the death of all of that nasty sickness, and you get to walk in new life with him. So Peter's mother-in-law is healed immediately, and she jumps into the kitchen. I'm not sure I need to make a bigger deal about this or say anything more about it. The bottom line on this part is the next blank on your page. Jesus heals so we can serve. Jesus heals so we can serve. Listen, that's what worship really is. Serving is the appropriate response to what he does we don't serve because we're expected to we don't serve because we feel like we have to we serve out of astonishment at who he is and what he's done in our lives we serve because we're so amazed that he would do what he's done for us that we just want to pay it back in some small, tiny way. He deserves all of us, every little bit of us. Can I get an amen? amen. 
That's why Jesus tells us about that day, about that day, judgment day. He says in Matthew 25 that the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And he says, the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did this to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you serve at Tower Road, giving lunches, you're serving Jesus. I had a friend uh, a little frustrated talking to me about serving at Tower Road. You know, all summer long, we're out there giving Lunches to those kids who don't have hardly anything to eat between school years. And we're making sure they get fed. And we've been doing this for a long time now. I think it's been about 10 years that we've been serving out there at Tower Road. And my frustrated friend was just expressing human nature frustration and saying, I don't know about this Tower Road thing. I don't know if I'm not going to keep doing it. I don't know why our church is doing it because nothing ever changes. Nothing changes. We've been out there all these years now, and those kids are still hungry. They're still impoverished. They're still living in homes with no air conditioning, cramming them in all together like crazy. Um, Nothing ever changes. I don't know why we're serving out there. And I just had to respond and say, stop for just a minute. The point of serving at Tower Road isn't to change Tower Road. Serving changes you. Serving changes you. It's part of the way that God transforms us into his image. That's why we serve. Right? In Philippians 2, we, we see how Paul encourages us this way. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in his spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? In other words... Haven't you been astonished by him? Haven't you received the grace that he's given you? Haven't haven't you received the benefit of Christ in your life? If you have, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. If you haven't ever been astonished by him, then respond to him. Make his fame spread. Show it. Live a life of astonishment and amazement. I want to look again at Philippians 2. We looked at this earlier where Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He could have. Maybe he should have. But he didn't think of equality with something to hang on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. 
And he took that humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Paul says you must have the same attitude that Christ had. And this pastor is just going to confess, I don't have that attitude yet. I've known him for all these years, and dude, I am astonished. I am astonished. Jeff, when you guys lead us in worship, it makes me even more astonished at how incredible he is. But I still don't live that attitude. I still feel like God and me, we're kind of on the same plane. I might just be equal with God. I think I have privileges. But seeing him compels me to be a servant to others. He calls me to serve others. And so what do I do? I put my head down. I deny myself. I take up my cross. And I follow him. I, I do what he calls me to do. We have an old saying in the gym. Trust the process. You know this saying? Do you know this saying? Okay, yeah, okay. Trust the process. It just means that when you go to the gym on your first day and you do your arm curls, that your biceps don't just go, okay, done. That's not the way it works, right? You go in there and you start with the little 20-pounders, you know. You start with the little bitty ones, and then you start moving up more and more and more, and slowly over time, you never have that day where all of a sudden your biceps, but you just keep working the process and you just keep trusting that the more you work, the more the results will come. You trust the process. And for us Christians, the process is called sanctification. That's what he's doing in our lives. And that's why we worship together. That's why we are in life groups together. That's why we serve and we learn together. Because the process is sanctification, and that's what he's doing in me. You don't all of a sudden become pff, attitude of Christ. You develop it, and it grows as you continue to submit and obey him. Can I get an amen? So that's what I want to be. I want to be that person that lives a life in response to him. I want to always have my eyes on him. And I want to be astonished at who he is and what he's doing in me. Last blank on your page. I want to live astonished at his exousia. I want my life to be a response to him. I want my life to be throwing up my hands and praising him again and again. I don't have much, but I can say hallelujah, and I can sing to him. I don't have much, but I can take food to Tower Road, and I can give it out to kids and give them a high five. I don't have much, but man, I can love others in Jesus' name. I just want to live a life astonished at him. Mm -hmm.